media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated, you can open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. But before we get there, I want to go back to, um, or actually forward a little bit to the Christmas story that most of us are familiar with from the Gospel of Luke. And I want you to, again, imagine, we've heard it hundreds, maybe thousands of times, and you had to hear to envision what was actually happening when Christ was born. When the angels began to, to shout from glory and from the heavens and to sing a song and make proclamations about this baby. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 10. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you this day is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. Peace. On, on earth, peace. This is the proclamation. This is the affirmation given to the child that was born. And yet, many of us today would say, okay, now where's this peace? We live in a world where there's conflict everywhere that we look. We see international conflict. We see personal conflict. We see interpersonal conflict among families and people. And so, so did the angels just misunderstand? Somehow did we misunderstand? Was this a prophecy that was left unfulfilled? I mean, certainly he's saying that there's peace and on earth peace. And yet in these 2,000 years, we still have a world that's hungering for peace. A people longing for the end of conflict in their own personal lives and fighting amongst family, among friends, among the nations. In many ways, it must have seemed like a fulfillment of the prophecies of Isaiah and Micah uh, when one day God was going to bring about this baby that would bring this peace. Remember at the time, can we show that map again that we showed last week? Remember the time down there in the, the brown is Jerusalem and what we would know as Israel. And we see this in the Assyrian Empire and how massive it was. And when Isaiah is writing this, uh, they're already being taken exile out of their homeland, out of their own homes and under the authority of the Assyrians. And so they're looking forward to this promise that the prophet is making eight centuries, 700 plus years before Christ is actually born, that they're waiting, and they have been waiting, as we've said, the last four weeks for 700 plus years, the last 400 of those years in complete silence, not hearing from the prophets, not hearing fresh prophecy. And so they hang on the prophecy of old, like in Micah 5, 5. And this man shall be what? The peace when the Assyrian shall come into our land. I mean, it, it, how would you not, if you were living in that day and time, and you just saw that map, and knew that you were being exiled from your homeland, how could you not take these prophecies, like the one from Micah here, and, and say, okay, this man that's coming, he's going to bring peace. 
when the Assyrian, I mean, this was not just a futuristic kind of thought that might happen. This was happening. So did God not fulfill it? Did, did he tarry in those 708 centuries with his promise? Uh, for the last four weeks, we've been going through the titles that the prophet Isaiah gave to the Messiah under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. In Isaiah 9, 6, he prophesies, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I mean, truth is... <laughs> When we're in captivity, we're in exile, one of the things that would excite our hearts and our minds about this prophecy is that there is a prince of peace coming our way. And yet, perhaps one of the great misunderstandings that we have, that certainly they had, is that 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 would be a, a, a peace that would come maybe instantly upon them, that it would come in more of a form of one government and acting with another government. Not so much just this prince of peace that would come, But the Prince of Peace would come and remedy the ills and the chaos of their life. And yet in 2,000 years since the time of Christ, have we really figured that out? I mean, when you think of a Prince of Peace, is there not a part of you that wants the chaos of your life, the wars of your life, the battles of your life, that this Prince of Peace would come in and just kind of wave the magic you know, Messiah wand, and that all of that trouble would go away. I think there's a part within us that when we hear about a Prince of Peace coming, that we want that direct application to the chaos, the unrest, the violence of our own lives. Historians tell us, and I've seen this quote over the years, and I don't know that I can dispute it. I don't know that it's 100% factual. But since the the last 3,400 years that they've been uh, kind of keeping up with human history, uh, we're told that only 268 of those years, out of those 3,400 years, have been a time that there wasn't chaos among the nations. You know, a time of where there wasn't this army fighting that army. And again, how did they know what was going on in all the parts of the world? Peace is not exactly the term that you would use to describe mankind. Our interactions with one another, different countries and different people going at it. But I wonder if peace would really be a, the correct way to describe your heart, your mind. I mean, if you think about just last week, would peace or chaos be more the terminology, the adjective that you would use to say, okay, last week was a week of fill in the blank, peace or chaos, craziness, our calmness. We find ourselves very much in the biblical story. One of the things I really wanted to do through this series for the last four weeks is for us to really grasp that the people of old, you know, when we say, well, I wish I would have lived in biblical times. One of the things I really want you to grasp is that you are living in biblical times. Well, we may be toward the end. We may be near the revelation part, but we're living in biblical times. As much as they were waiting for the first advent of Christ, we are now living in biblical history for the second advent. 
yeah, we may not see camels crossing the street, and we may not live in tents and be nomads, and a lot of things have changed since we read the events of Jesus' time or the times of the Old Testament. And yet, folks, if you understand the biblical story, that one story, we're living in biblical times. And we're waiting now for the second advent. And in many ways, we're waiting for the fulfillment of even what Isaiah prophesied 700 plus years before Christ was born. For unto us a child is born. To us the Son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is not a prophecy gone wrong. This is not something, a promise that God made that was broken. It's just sometimes we don't always understand the depth by which Christ sometimes describes things, or the way that God describes. When he says that peace is going to come, I want you to know this morning that God did not fail us and that peace has come. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that people are always going to get along together. In fact, do you know that Jesus himself, if we just go back and we look at the what Jesus said about peace, for example. He made promises of peace to those that were following him, but he also said that his very ministry, his very being was actually going to cause division and not peace. Luke chapter 12, 51 through 53. This is the words of Christ. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. Well, we read them, we're going, okay, this is the same Jesus that we just kind of described as the Prince of Peace. This is the same Jesus that the angels, when he was born, said, okay, he's going to bring peace on earth. What went wrong? Well, I would suggest this morning that nothing went wrong. That the peace that Christ came to bring was a peace between man and God. That first and foremost, it wasn't this nation against another nation. It wasn't even internal strife within a family. But in our separation from God, the Bible says that we are actually the enemy of God because of our sinfulness. And yet we needed somebody who would come and bring peace between those. And the Bible tells us throughout the New Testament that this is exactly what Christ has done. I mean, we see Christ talking about division. We're going, well, you know, that was just the old times. Or Just this last week, there was a news event of somebody uh, uh, who converted to Christianity, and they were beaten by their family, and almost to the point of death. You're going, well, you know, that happens, Bobby. That happens in the Middle East. That happens in China sometimes. Now, this was Nashville, Tennessee. This is past week. Converted to Christianity and his, his family said, no, you know, this is your faith and you're not going to convert there. Folks, this is the vision that Christ was talking about. That as we follow Christ, as God opens up our eyes to the beauty of the gospel and we follow with the passion the things of Christ, don't expect everybody, even your own family members, to always understand. This Prince of Peace is not going to bring a global peace. Maybe not going to bring a familiar or family peace. So what kind of peace is this? Some would believe that uh, 
if you follow Jesus, all your pain and all your sorrow and all your problems are going to go away, that somehow you involve yourself in some kind of a, a personal utopia. That's not even the promise of Christ. In fact, he said just the opposite. If there was ever anybody who just really wanted to get a bunch of people to go with them, Christ said all the wrong things. This is what Christ said in Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. They they knew very well what the cross meant. They knew very well that a daily death to self. I mean, when have we seen that in, in our world lately? If anything, we empower ourselves We've made the, the center of the attention just ourselves. We've made ourselves truly the rulers of our own emotions, our own feelings, our own thoughts, and our own convictions. And yet Christ, when he is this Prince of Peace, is saying, and this is how you follow me, he said, you have to take up your cross daily. You have to die to self. So if it's not international peace, if it's not peace uh, among even family members, if it's not even this peace within ourselves as far as all of our problems going away, what kind of prince of peace is this? And the scripture tells us well. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is... Our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Where was this wall? This wall was between me and, and who? God. That because of my sin, I'm, I'm separate. He's a holy God, a loving God, a caring God, a gracious God, but, but he's a just God and he's a holy God. And he is a God of wrath against sin. And all unrighteousness. And so there's a war going on. And Christ comes. And he's the peacemaker. He takes down the, that dividing wall. Broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Uh, look what Paul said in Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He's talking about Christ. In Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on the earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Is he promising nations to get along together? Is that the promise there? Is he talking about brothers and sisters never fighting again? Is he talking about that there will never ever be drama or trauma in your marriage? No. The war that he's describing, the the battle that was going on is between us and our sin and a holy God. And this Prince of Peace comes and and God says that he's going to come and he's going to bring us peace. And this is our peace. I've shared it with you many times when I was 12 years old. God opened my eyes to the beauty of the gospel. He opened my eyes to my sin. And I, I wouldn't have been able to theologically use all the terms and do it all right. I just knew that I was separated from a holy God. And that Christ loved me so much that he had died on the cross for me. And I trusted the work of Christ, even as a 12-year-old, with no theology background, very little understanding. 
Christ said, I trust you, and I trust what you did. Maybe you have a similar story. Maybe you are younger than 12. Maybe you are older than 12. But there's been a time in your life when God opened your eyes and your heart and your understanding to your own sinfulness, that we're not perfect people. And the perfection and the holiness of God and how there's this wall dividing us, this wall of hostility that Paul described in Ephesians, and how God had but one answer. And that answer wasn't for you and I to try harder, do better. The answer wasn't for us to go join a church or some kind of belief system. God had but one answer, and this answer was the Prince of Peace. Born as a little baby, grown, three-year ministry, lived life in perfection, died on a cross that we deserved, buried, rose again in three days, now ascended to the Father and lives forevermore. This is the Prince of Peace. This is the hostility. This is making peace by the blood of the cross. Uh, look what Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that all of humanity? No. For those who have put their trust and their faith in that redeeming work of Christ, this is your story. We don't say that if you're here this morning and you've never placed your trust in Christ. You would not consider yourself a Christian. You came because you came with a family member. It's Christmas time. You didn't want the hassle of the fight. So you said, okay, I'll I'll go to church with you. Or maybe you've been struggling in your faith. And you have a lot of knowledge about Jesus Christ. You have a lot of knowledge about the Bible and biblical things. And and yet in your own life, you're going, okay, do I really have a peace with God? The promise that Paul makes here, the promise that Isaiah prophesied 700 plus years before it would ever happen, is that there was one that was coming that was of God that would bring peace from the hostility that existed between man and God. And Paul begins to explain that. Don't get me wrong, folks. Just as we've seen in each one of these titles, Wonderful Counselor, that very much has a an application to the future. When we talked last week, uh, about how he was an everlasting father. That is much more, it's, it's present some, but it's much more futuristic in the sense of when the kingdom all comes about, what we see in the second advent of Christ. But don't get me wrong, just because Christ has not come for the second time doesn't mean that we won't have any peace. No, as we place our faith and our trust in him, we can't have a present peace. But that doesn't always mean the absence of problems. Isn't it amazing? Have you ever experienced the peace of God when the problem was still there? Isn't that like the coolest thing? I mean, it's one thing when God says, here's your problem, I toss it out. All of a sudden you have a financial problem or whatever it is. And all of a sudden, that ant that you didn't even know about writes a check to you. I mean, we like those stories, and, and there's a part of us that goes, that, that brought peace to me, but, but have you ever been there? And the problem was still, if not smaller, it was bigger, and yet God gave you an internal peace. 
But we're not waiting for all of this peace. Well, we have a taste of it now. This is why Paul wrote to the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. This is what Jeff spoke about several weeks ago. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Now look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is saying, and the peace of God will take all the problems of your life and just zap them and they're gone. Now in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of the chaos of this world, in the midst of the battle. He said, you come and you pray, you, you give thanksgiving, let your request be known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, it doesn't make sense, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is not a generic promise to all the peoples of the world, guys. As a Christian, I am no better than anybody who's not a Christian. As one who has trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior, it's because of his grace and his mercy. I have participated not at all in the sense of I've done something to deserve that. God did not even look at my life and said, you know, one day he might actually even become a pastor and and so I can use him. No, there was nothing about me. There's nothing about you that God says, you know, if he helps a little bit, if she helps a little bit, we might be able to do some things. By the grace of God, he saved us and removed the wall of hostility 100% through the work of Jesus Christ. John sixteen thirty three. Hours before Christ goes to the crucifixion and death, he tells this to his disciples. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, now, there's a lot in there. There's a whole sermon right there, okay? I've said these things to you. Now, what, what things had he just said? If you go back to John 14, John 15, John 16, what has he said? He said, okay, you're going to be scattered. You're going to be hated. You're going to be persecuted. Sign me up. These, these are not things that just mean, I want to be a part of that. People are going to hate you. He said, yeah, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And they're about to see persecution at the highest level when Christ, innocent Christ, goes and dies. A substitutionary death for all those that would place trust in him. That's the invitation. I said these things, these things to you that you might have peace. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. There is no promise there whatsoever that he's going to take these away. In fact, he just said that you're going to have these things. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Our peace is in him, guys. Prince of Peace isn't a cute little title that somebody, you know, quilted on a quilt for Jesus and placed it in the manger. Prince of Peace is this majestic title that describes what Christ did in his life, death, burial, and resurrection so that you and I could have peace with holy God. 
Our peace is in his promises, it's in his work, it's in his final victory. In fact, this is really telling. This, you know, Isaiah, just a couple, after Isaiah 9, if we go a couple more chapters, and again, Isaiah didn't write in chapters. Remember, man came back and put it down to chapters and verse. So in this, this foretelling for, for of Isaiah, this prophecy of Isaiah, if we go to Isaiah chapter 11, he begins to describe what's going to happen one day. Some people see this as illustration. Others see it as an allegory. I believe that it very much could be 100% authentic and true. Isaiah 11, starting with verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, and the young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. (laughs) Moms and dads. Look at verse 8. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the winged child shall put his hand in the adder's den. Is that incredible? Do you get where Isaiah is going with that? You you might say, well, that kind of sounds like the Garden of Eden. And I think there's a purpose in that. Everything that sin is broken from the perfection of God's creation, God is redeeming through the work of Christ. I believe this will, my own personal belief, I don't think it's allegory. I don't think it's just, it's kind of like, you know, that this wolf's going to lay down with the lamb. You know, what you have there is a list of predators and a list of prey. And yet they're not predating and being preyed upon. Do you, do you see that picture? I mean, Isaiah could have described this future that we have in this kingdom of God being established in a lot of different ways. That makes sense to me. And I think that God will do it in a reality. He's already done that theologically. And that that wall of hostility has been separated for those who have placed their trust in Christ. And now we await the second advent for the fulfillment of all of this prophecy. Does that make sense this morning? How the Prince of Peace, let's not say that we're waiting for all of that, that none of that has been displayed. No, that's why Paul wrote, you know, you can put your cares and your worries and you can... Put those requests before God and, and a peace that surpasses understanding can begin to fill your heart and your life now. You've known that, people. I've known that in our lives. We just admitted and gave testimony just a while back that, hey, there was times that we had peace and the difficulty was not even gone. But we know it in partial now. We will know it in full at the second coming of Christ and the ushering in of the final kingdom. That's when we will truly know the fullness of wonderful counselor and mighty God and everlasting father and a prince of peace. This morning, I've got the most serious question that I could ask you. Do you know the peace of God? Not the peace that comes that you have a certain amount in your bank account and in that bank account, there's enough fluff there, there's enough you know, to where you're going, okay, I'm not worried about paying the bills this week. 
or next week or next month or next year. I mean, in reality, does that bring some peace when we have enough money to pay the bills? Be honest, guys, because I know the answer to that. (laughs) Is it a peace that sometimes that everything is just good with the family? And brother is loving sister and sister is loving brother. And everybody's getting along. And everybody's achieving and everybody's cooperating. I'm not talking about that kind of peace. We love those moments of peace. This morning, do you have peace with God? I mean, deep, deep down, guys. This morning, with all your heart, with all that you know, everything that's going on in your head, not your neighbor, not your wife, not your husband, not your children, but in you, can you say, I I have peace with holy God? That's the promise. That was the prophecy of Isaiah. That men and women, just like you and I, could have peace with holy God by putting our faith and our trust in that finished work of Christ. Not our own accomplishments, not our own holiness, not our own religious activities, but in Christ, in Christ alone. I can promise you, I don't have a better message to share with you this morning. And I may promise that I will not have a better story and message to share with you next week or next month our next year, or the entirety of my... This is the message that is beyond all messages that any pastor could ever preach because it puts our hope into Christ, God's gift to us, that he would love us so much that he would clothe himself in flesh, dwell among us, die for us, rise again to give us victory over sin, death, and grave. And then one day, come back. So that as Revelation says, that I will be your God and you will be my people. It doesn't get better than that. Do you have peace with God this very morning? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you that you would love us so much that you would send your son And Father, we thank you for this prophecy. We thank you that you have foretold already that, Father, that one would come, the Prince of Peace. And Father, I pray that this morning you would just ingrain that upon our minds and our hearts. And Father, I would pray this morning that... uh, that we would be so honest with ourselves, that we would just examine ourselves, not in a way of condemning, but Father, conviction of truth. Not in a way of saying, well, some people just think that they're better than the rest of us because they call themselves Christians. Father, will, will you show every heart and every mind this morning that the ground at the foot of the cross is level? Billy Graham isn't way, way up in front and all of us all the way in the back. That your offering of this Prince of Peace, Father, this day, is the greatest gift that the world has ever known. We would never deserve it. We can never earn it. And that's why you have graciously given us 
the Prince of Peace as a gift. And I pray, Father, that you would just speak to hearts and minds this morning. That this very Christmas would be the time that they would know that they know that they know that they have peace with the Holy God because they put their faith and their trust into this Prince of Peace. We love you, Father. And we ask all this in the hope of that name, that person, and that life. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.